Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brent Bernard, Cassie Schrader, and we're here just holding down the fort. That's all I have to say to you. We'll be right back. Hour three, Tom Bernard Show. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Ooh, do-re-mi. She's pointing out how how lottery winners lost all their money, Mm -hmm. so she plays money. Pink Floyd. Great song. Great song. Too bad those boys couldn't get along with each other. I know, right? That didn't really work out too well. Uh, We are talking about lottery winners who have lost every penny. Laura and Roger Griffiths bought their dream home and then life fell apart. Before they won a $2.76 million lottery jackpot in 2005, Laura and Roger Griffiths of England hardly ever argued. Then they won and bought a million-dollar barn-converted house and a Porsche, not to mention luxurious trips to Dubai, Monaco, and New York City. Their fortune ended in 2010, so they won in 2005. Five years later, they were broke. When a freak fire gutted their house, house which was un- underinsured, oh my don't God. do that. Um, forcing them to shell out for repairs and seven months of temporary accommodations. Shortly after, Roger drove away in the Porsche after Laura confronted him over email suggesting that he was interested in another woman. That ended Mm. their 14-year marriage. Isn't that terrible? How did that happen? I mean, how do you let that happen to you, you dope? (laughs) You lame brain. Now people... um... God, if I would have won the lottery, I would put so much of that in a, like a trust. Yeah, really. No one can touch it. This one's even better. This oh, one, boy. it's getting better. Bud Post lost $16.2 million within a year. Mm. His own brother put out a hit on him. <laughs> oh, my God. William Bud Post won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery in 1988, but he was $1 million in debt within one year. I wish it never happened, Post said. I was t- it was a, totally a nightmare. A former girlfriend successfully sued him for a third of his winnings, and his brother was arrested for hiring a hitman to kill him in the hopes he'd inherit a share of the winnings. That's terrible. After sinking money into the family business, Post sank into debt and spent time in jail for firing a gun over the head of a bill collector. I was much happier when I was broke, he said, according to the Washington Post. Bud lived quietly on $450 a month in food stamps 
until his death in 2006. He was on food stamps. Oh, so so $16.2 million to food stamps. How do you even spend that much? I don't know. I have no idea. I would still use coupons and stuff if I had that kind of money. Yeah, I'd still use coupons. Huh? You don't want to piss it all away. Yeah. Marilyn Tott, 33, and his, or Martin, excuse me, is Mar- M-A-R-T-Y-N. I've never seen it spelled that way. Martin Tott, 33, and his 24-year-old wife in the U.K. missed out on a $5 million lottery fortune after losing their ticket. A seven-week investigation by Camelot Group, the company that runs the U.K.'s national lottery, convinced officials their claim to the winning ticket was legitimate, but since there's a 30-day time limit on reporting lost tickets, the company was not required to pay up, and the jackpot became the largest unclaimed amount since the lottery began in 1994. So why did you go through the investigation, and how did you... I don't get it. Thinking you're going to have all that money is really liberating. Having it taken away has the opposite effect, K-Tot told the Daily Mail. It drains the life from you and puts a terrible strain on your marriage. It was the cruelest torture imaginable. Got all these people on this money. They just can't handle it. Well, here's another one. In 2004, Sharon Tirabasi... Sharon Tirabasi, a single mother who'd been on welfare, cashed a check from the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation for $10 million. She spent her winnings on a big house, fancy cars, designer clothes, lavish parties, exotic trips, handouts to family, loans to friends, and in less than a decade, she was back riding the bus working part-time and living in a rented house. It's almost like these people are poor for a reason. Yeah, it almost is, if you know what Andy's saying there. All that other stuff was fun in the beginning. Now it's like back to life, she told the Hamilton Spectator. Luckily, Tirabasi put some of her windfall in trust for her six children who can claim their money when they're 26 years old. So that was smart. Yeah. That was very, very smart. But, yeah, once you start loaning money to family and giving money to friends, you can kiss it all goodbye. People will do anything for money. It's really embarrassing. Against all odds in their mid-1980s, Evelyn Adams won the lottery twice, once in uh, 1985 and again in 1986. The New Jersey native won $5.4 million, but AskMen.com reports that she gambled it away in Atlantic City. Adams also told the New York Times in 1993 that the publicity she received led to a bombardment of requests for financial assistance. Welcome to the club, sister. (laughs) I cannot tell you the period of time... Since the KQ Morning Show started, where I, I can't even imagine how many people hit on me for money. It's just unbelievable. Say, listen, if you could give me uh, just a hundred grand, what? <laughs> yeah, let me give you a hundred thousand dollars. What a great idea. Adams also told the New York Times in 1993 that the publicity she received led to a bombardment and a request for financial assistance. I was known, and I couldn't go anywhere without being recognized, and people constantly hit her up for money. I know. Why don't you go out and get a job? That'd be good, wouldn't it? You don't want to, you don't want to get a job? Is that what you're saying? So, I, li- oh. I like to work. Yeah, I do too, actually. Tondalyn Dickerson, a former Waffle House waitress, got served a big plate of karma when she refused to split her winnings with colleagues and was forced to pay the tax man, oh my God, $1,119,347.90. How did it happen? Dickerson placed her winnings in a corporation and granted her family 51% of the stock, qualifying her for the tax. So her family got the money, and she had to pay all the tax. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, that is that is kind of karma, isn't it? That's I know really a lot it. of people, like, they've won, like, cars and stuff at a casino or whatever it is, but they, you don't realize they have to pay the tax on that. Oh, you do. Mm-hmm. I, there's a certain amount. If you win a certain amount, you have to pay the taxes on the spot. Yeah, I think I it's, if it's over... A couple of grand or something. Two thousand dollars. Yeah, I think it's something like a couple Unless of grand. Unless it's been changed, yeah, who it knows? Might have been, but taxes. Yeah. <laughs> In 1998, Gerald Muswagon. First of all, after winning that money, I changed my name from Muswagon. <laughs> Muswagon. Exactly. He won the $10 million Super 7 jackpot in Canada, but he couldn't handle the instant fame that came with winning the grand prize. According to Canada's Globe and Mail, he bought several new vehicles for himself and friends, purchased a house that turned into a nightly party pad, and often celebrated his new lifestyle with copious amounts of drugs and alcohol. 
The Globe and Mail reported in a single day he bought eight big screen TVs for friends. <laughs> eight. Now, back then, big screen TVs, that was in uh, 1998. Big screen TVs were the big, big, big ones. In 98, they were a lot more expensive. They were a lot more expensive. Muswagon also poured money into a logging business that failed because of low sales. A logging business? Mm. I'm sure one of his friends had this idea for a revolutionary new logging business. We could be the next Weyerhauser. I just know it. Muswagon also poured money into the logging business. He was eventually forced to take a job doing heavy lifting on a friend's farm just to make ends meet. According to the Globe and Mail, filled with remorse, Muswagon hanged himself in his parents' garage. (laughs) Oh, God. That's terrible. Don't blow all your money. Well, people will try to take it from you. I guarantee you that. They will try to take your money. Suzanne Mullins won $4.2 million in the Virginia Lotto in 1993. She split the yearly payments three ways with her husband and daughter, leaving Mullins with about $47,000 a year. She quickly found herself in debt. Her lawyer uh, said she shelled out $1 million for her uninsured son's medical bills. It's been a hard road, Mullins lawyer Michael Hart told the Associated Press. In 2004, it's not been jet plane trips to the Bahamas. She used for, uh, future payouts to take out a $200,000 loan with a company that served a specific market lottery winners who need their money faster. Mullins later switched to a lump sum payout but never paid back the debt. The loan company filed suit and won a $154,000 settlement. That was uh, all but worthless. Mullins had no assets. So she spent... million. You know, people got to understand something. Now, uh, in Canada, I've heard that the lottery, there's no tax on the lottery in Canada. There Mm -hmm. must be. Look it up, would you, Andy? Because I've heard, well, Doug told me that. Doug I've heard that, too. Yeah, they don't have to pay. They don't have to pay taxes on their lottery winnings in Canada. Yeah. Which is that? Yeah, you're right. They don't? Huh. Let's move to Canada and then play the lottery. (laughs) Now, what happens if you're a United States citizen... And win in a Canadian lottery. You probably have to pay taxes in the United States. You think? I bet. Oh, that would suck. Because you're a United yes, States citizen. Yeah, only... I bet you, you'd have to. <laughs> the only reason I'd buy one in Canada is so I wouldn't have to pay the tax if yeah, I Yeah, just, I'm never coming back to America. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you, I'm never coming back. Construction worker Americo Lopez won the New Jersey lottery, quit his job, and lied about it, claiming that he needed foot surgery, reports the New York Times. After coming clean to a former co-worker, he and a few others ganged up on Lopez for not splitting the winnings as promised. In a fraud suit, the co-workers claimed they had all but pitched in for the winning ticket. Oh, they all had, not all but, but they all had pitched in for the winning ticket. The court ordered Lopez to split the prize, and he ended up broke. Uh, I, money does really weird things to people. It does. It does. People act really odd because of money. Ontario resident, yeah, most of these are Canadian lottery winners, so these people do not have to pay taxes on their lottery winnings. Sons of bitches. <laughs> Ontario resident Ibi Roncioli walked away with $5 million in a 1991 Lotto 649 drawing, but she didn't tell her husband how she decided to spend it. When Joseph Roncioli, a gynecologist, found out Ibi gave $2 million of her fortune to a secret child he'd had with another man, he poisoned her. And she died. He was found guilty of manslaughter and reportedly asked Ibby's family to help foot the bill for her funeral. Aww. So she gives two million bucks to a child that uh, she secretly had with another man. He finds out, he kills her, and then he's in prison and everybody's dead. Again, money does really weird things to people. Michael Carroll was just 19 when he won Britain's 9.7 million pound lottery. That's $15 million in 2002. But a penchant for crack, parties, prostitutes, and cars put him back at square one in five years. Last we heard, the former garbage man was hoping to get his old job back. (laughs) He won, he he pissed away $15 million. I have no idea. I honestly don't know how people do that. Crack, parties, prostitutes, and cars. That's what it's all about. Uh Uh-oh, I think Nick's here. Yep. Come on in, man. We got a box of stuff. Oh, he's got the. Is that Catherine's stuff? Yeah. I knew I'd have to bring it up. I knew I'd end up footing the. And the mail. Oh, yeah, the mail's in there, too? Yeah. Oh, look at that. Look at all that wonderful stuff. 
It's a dream come true. We're talking about lottery. Oh, you know, Nick is an accountant. What's your actual title? CPA. CPA, Certified Public Accountant. There's some headphones right there. We're talking about, it's, it's, actually, your timing is fantastic because we're talking about lottery winners who are now broke. And so far, we've gotten to, there are 22 of them. I'll just read this one again because you'll like this one. Michael Carroll was just 19 years old when he won $15 million in a jackpot in England. $15 million. We also found out if you win the lottery in Canada, you don't have to pay taxes on it. Really? Yep. You win the lottery, you don't have to pay taxes. I don't know about England. Okay, so a 19-year-old kid wins $15 million bucks, 9.7 million pounds. He had a pension for crack parties, prostitutes, and cars. Uh, back at square one in five years, last we heard, the former garbage man was hoping to get his old job back. He pissed away $15 million. <sighs> five years. $15 million, $15 million in five years. Uh, oh, God, I'm looking at his picture. It's just sad. He looks like he's about 12. Uh, oh, this guy, lottery curse. Andrew Jackson Whitaker was undone by robberies in a casino lawsuit in 2002. West Virginia building contractor Andrew Jackson Whitaker Jr. walked away with $114 million after taxes on a $315 million multi-state Powerball draw. So what, as a CPA, what would you, you got $114 million in cash, what should you do? First thing I'd do is try and protect it. How? Yeah. Invest it. I'd find a good way to invest it. Uh... Find some tax shelters. I would assume on a money like that, you could probably get 10% on your money, couldn't you? $114 million? You diversify mm. it right, I would think. Yeah. Anywhere from 8 to 10. I mean, that's 11 4 a year. Yeah. And you never touch the principal. That's scary. Uh, here's the deal. That was just about the last stroke of good fortune. Thieves ran off with $545,000 that Whitaker had stashed in his car. <laughs> $545,000 in cash that he put in his car. Smart guy. I will be very honest with you, though. This is a true story. When I first started making a lot of money back in the day, I used to, I don't do this anymore, so don't uh, get any ideas. I used to keep $10,000 in cash in my trunk in case something went wrong. I'd, I'd still at least have $10,000. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Fitz, my mm -hmm. buddy. Michael Fitzgibbons, he was taking my cl golf clubs out of my trunk and the shoebox flipped over and he went, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> so I stopped doing that. We'll be right back in two minutes. Nick Stovall, our special guest. We're going to learn all about, you got to go? No, no. Well, he just okay. got here. Well, I just, why nobody, he's a business guy. I mean, he's got to move around. We'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here with the founder and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski who's here to talk about a great service and an app that you can get and use from North American Banking Company called XCheck. Tom, it's a payment app we developed. We wanted a simple application that was safe and secure, easy to use, and a way in which you could pay the kid who cuts your grass, shovels your snow, a way you could split a dinner check without having to exchange cash, without having to write a check. The app processes the payment, puts it right into the receiver's account literally the same day. It's free to our customers. It's safe, secure, and easy to use. This is Tom Why Not Bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, celebrating 20 years of providing a better banking experience. Member FDIC and equal housing lender, Mike is a disaster. Now, wait a minute. You better cut out that. <laughs> Tommy. <laughs> Tommy. 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 It's Tom telling you how easy it's been to lose weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth with their weight loss plan. I'm down over 77 pounds, and I have one more round to go to shed the rest of my unwanted pounds. Find out how to have success losing weight like I did by attending the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth free informational dinner. It is on Monday, August 20th, 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. That extra baggage melts away really fast, and one of the best parts is it's just so easy. I am never, ever hungry. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has educated me on clean eating, and I now know the foods that work for me and the weight gain trigger foods. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth will guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and they can help you, too. 
Register for the Nutramost Twin Cities and Plymouth Dinner on August 20th. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. It like this. I talked to Nick Stovall. I've known you how many years now? What? A hundred? Yeah. Not, not quite a hundred. Not quite a hundred. Not quite a hundred. It's been an interesting role. That's all I know. We are back. Tom Bernardo, Nick Stovall, our special guest in studio. Um, this time of the year, is this the least busy time of year for you? No, this is, uh, we're still working extensions and... Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, you can only extend till October, can't you? Yeah, October 15th. So October 15th. Really, your dead, your, your dead spot comes between October 16th and December 15th. And December 15th, it picks up again? Yeah. You, Why? You do a lot of year-end planning. People get nervous oh, about that point in time. Yeah, I suppose that's true. A lot of year-end planning and their whatever. Yeah, you'd like to see them come in at the beginning of November, but they're all giddy for the holidays so no that's true well see in our family it's really bad because andy's birthday is the 26th of october then it's halloween then my birthday is november 7th then it's thanksgiving i mean it's something for literally two and a half months there's something going on every week yeah so i suppose it's that way for a lot of people i guess i don't know i mean for us it rolls all the way from andy's birthday on the 26th of october to alex's birthday on the 2nd of february which just happens to be on groundhog day uh, my son was do- supposed to be on Groundhog's Day, too, really? but he came out early. <laughs> I still love the fact that when I turned 21, my birthday being November 7th, it's a lot of times it's election day. Like Richard Nixon was elected president on my birthday on a November 7th. I remember that. But my favorite thing of all time was on my 21st birthday, November 7th, they lowered the drinking age to 18. <laughs> I turn 21, and they drop it down to 18. <laughs> it's like, whatever. Which is probably good. It might be a reason I'm still alive, though. You know what I mean? I got that extra three years out of you. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Where'd you grow up? Hastings. God, I love Hastings. What? That, what's the name of that Mexican restaurant? It used to be, It used to be like a corner cafe right there in hastings it was really good then it closed and opened up as a mexican restaurant and, it, and it's really good too yeah i don't know the name of it i know where you're talking about though right on main street it, right on main street i i love Hastings. it's a very very cool cool place the uh didn't the guy who owned the beers too didn't he win the lottery that's a good question i'm pretty sure he did i think he won the lottery but they've got well there's a beer stew in hastings there's another one there are like three of them, aren't there? There's one in uh, Invergrove Heights and then one in Maplewood. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you is there a Hastings High School? There is. So that's where you went? Yep. Is that why you have that weird phone number that's a long distance, even though it's a local area code? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the Red Wing phone number. Oh, the Red, it's Red Wing. That's exactly yep. right. It's Red. And that's another town. Did you spend a lot of time in Red Wing when you were growing up in Hastings? Uh, a little bit. And we'd run down there, go down the Cannon River. and Oh, yeah, right. the Cannon, uh, Cannon Valley Trail, the bike trail there is fantastic. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. We love the – well, first of all, it is unbelievable how many people listen to KQ Morning Show in Red Wing, in Hastings, all those places. They tons of listeners in those towns. Do you ever go – do you ever, you ever hike Barn Bluff in Red Wing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've done it many times. It's, you know, it's really interesting. This year we went, because we usually go around the 4th of July. This year we went and we hiked Barn Bluff, and we for, you know, I rode, I think, like uh, 75 miles that weekend on my bike and did all that stuff. But what I really noticed, honest to God, was like five years ago, we hiked Barn Bluff, and it was tough. It was hard to do. And then this year, after losing 80 pounds, I hiked it and was like, what is hard about this? I mean, seriously, it was a, that big a difference. It's like, well, this is just kind of a walk. This is not that big a deal. I remember five years ago when I weighed 80 pounds more, it's like, God, this is, this is quite, this must be like what it means to be in the Marine Corps. Yeah. <laughs> Honest to God. Now it's baby. easy. You can just look around and yeah. enjoy the scenery. Oh, I tell you, though, the view from up there, if you've never been down there, ladies and gentlemen, take a trip down and stay at the St. James Hotel, which we love. It's fantastic. I mean, there are a lot of great places to stay down there. And, of course, the Smoke and Oak, my buddy down there, 
He wasn't my buddy. We went and ate at Smoke and Oak, and I talked about it on the air, and then we became friends after that. But it was really cool because <laughs> one day I opened up my, my mail, and there were like $500 worth of gift certificates to the Smoke and Oak. And I said, now that you and I are friends, I can't really take those. That would be pretty much payola. <laughs> so we can't be doing that. There'll be none of that. So I do pay my bill when I go down there. But, uh, yeah, I love the smoke and oak. But the view from on top of Barn Bluff was just south of downtown. It's just south of the Red Wing building in downtown uh, Red Wing. The views from up there of the river, because that's kind of the be- Is that the beginning of Lake Pepin? Just, oh, yeah, just south of there, yeah. yeah is that actually Lake Pepin the beginning? Go or is down it- to Lake City and... Yeah, right. And that's Lake City was where what was invented? Andy, Cassie, game show. Something was invented in Lake City. Don't be Googling it, you cheater. I saw that. You lying sack. I saw you try to Google it. What was invented in Lake City, Minnesota? On Lake Pepin. On Lake Pepin. Um, It's easy to guess. I said on Lake Pepin. Swan boat? Not the swan boat. (laughs) I don't know. Water skiing. Oh, water skiing. Water skiing was invented in Lake City, Minnesota. Cool. Mm. Have you ever been down there, Lake Pepin? No, I have not. Andy, you ever been down there? I don't know. Where is it? It's just south, about an hour and 15 minutes, maybe. Or Lake City's probably an hour and a half. uh, Is it along the road to Rochester? 61. I don't know what that is. 52 is is the road to Rochester. 61 would be the... Well, then no. It is a beautiful town. And there's so much to see down there. Lake Pepin is spectacular. Yeah, I've I've been meaning to go down that way. You the gotta. Fur, furthest I've been is Red Wing, on the love it east border of Minnesota. Love it. It's a good weekend to get down there. Yeah. They've got the uh, reggae fest going at the is Harbor Bar not, in, Red, it, in Red Wing. Is that oh, really? this weekend? That's this weekend. God, you ever eaten at the Stag's Head down there? It's a pretty new restaurant, I think. I have not eaten it's it, eaten really at it, but I've good. been in there. I oh, have you have been feeling, in there. Though. Oh, glug, glug. <laughs> yeah, I haven't eaten there, but I have been in there. Well, I have a feeling during the reggae fest, everyone's going to be eating oh, down God, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the food spectacular. Munchies. It's one of those deals. I, God, I forgot the name of that. Um, what the hell's the name of that season they put on the uh, soft eggs and lobster at Bar La Grasse, Andy? What's that called? Um... It's an oil. Truffle oil? Truffle oil. Yeah, there you go. They use truffle oil and garlic. And I said, I'd like this sandwich, but I want it without uh, truffle oil and aioli. That's the other oil they use. Mm -hmm. I said, I don't want it with that. So the guy brings me a sandwich, and he says, I made a mistake. Um, I took the wrong sandwich. This one actually has aioli and truffle oil on it. So I ate it. I said, no, this is fine. The only reason I don't like it is people use too much of it. Like mm-hmm. at Bar La Grasa, they use just enough so it tastes really good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these restaurants, they put way too much of it on there. I think it's a Minnesota thing. I think you're 100% right. Onions and garlic in Minnesota is like it's like mana well, from we, heaven. Or we, well, we come from a Scandinavian background, and they have the most bland food. That's what I understand. So I think... Um, they season, overly season it. My, my grandma was like that. She would, <laughs> she would salt everything, and um, it was just like everyone's like, "Oh, pass the salt." I'm like, "You don't need the salt. Trust no. me." She was no. a great cook. It tasted great, but there's times where I was like, "Oh, there's a lot of spice in there." Well, my grandma Minnie, my mother's mother, wonderful woman, but she would sit down to eat like a sliced tomato. And it would look like it snowed on it. <laughs> like, why don't you put a little less salt on there, Minnie? Jesus. She lived to be 83 years old, though, so that was pretty good. But, yeah, I, so do you think that's what it is? Well, I German so. did, did Germans under-season their food? Yeah, they didn't have much seasoning either. No, they didn't Even either. in their so. sausages and stuff. Right. Uh, you know, bratwurst that really doesn't have a lot of spices in it either. I don't like bratwurst because it's got those chunky fat bits. I hate that. I'm not a fan either. (laughs) It's like, to get that chunky fat bit stuff out of there and I might eat it, but it's like nasty. I don't know. Um, Oh, you know, see, I hate these kind of titles right here. It said, Betsy DeVos's $40 million yacht has been damaged. Right? $40 million yacht. It's been damaged. I open up the story, and here are the damages. Betsy DeVos's family boat untied from the dock, causing up to $10,000 in damage. 
So you're getting this impression that the whole forty million dollar boat is damaged. It's ten thousand. What? So in other words, the paint was scratched. Yeah, yeah. it needs a new paint Scratch the bumper. <laughs> Scratch the bumper. Yeah. Scratch the uh, anchor. Yeah, I mean, honest <laughs> to God, why would you report that story that way? A $40 million yacht owned by Education Secretary Betsy DeVos's family was untied from its dock this weekend, causing thousands of dollars in debt. Well, now it's at, yeah, thousands of dollars, 10000 The 163-foot Sequest yacht, holy God, that's a big boat, man. Do they have a distraught picture $40 of $40 million. Yeah, $40 million better be a big boat. I don't know. They, well, let me see this picture they have of her. Might have been behind them. Oh, she looks pretty distressed there, doesn't she? Oh. Not really. First world problems. <laughs> she looks like she'd be a pain in the ass, to tell you the truth. She's got that look on her face like, I'm a pain in the ass. Yeah, probably. She's a politician. The 160, well, that's very true. <laughs> the 163-foot Sequest yacht had been moored at the Huron Boat Basin. When the captain alerted authorities early Sunday morning, it had been untied and set adrift. So somebody set her boat adrift on purpose. I mean, seriously, I, I thought, look, if her boat was untied probably it was by the opposing party now if you're gonna if you're gonna have the title of you know liberal and progressive and forward-thinking you don't try to damage someone's yacht because they don't agree with your politics i mean seriously stop doing that that'd take a lot of work too to untie a yacht that big yeah that would take a lot of work to untie a yacht that big you're absolutely right about that are you a fan of Shark Week? Uh, I, I don't watch it as much as I'd like to. Well, you would like to watch it, but you don't watch it that much? Yeah. Because we got a guy on in about five minutes. Well, about, actually about four minutes. Uh, Joe Romero from Shark Week. He's a really, really good guest. So do you have any Shark Week questions? Not at the moment. Not at the it's moment. Just... We were just talking. Cassie and I were just talking about Charlie Tuna. So you know, <laughs> I was in a really good mood about that. I love Shark Week. I, so you're going to ask Joe a lot of questions about Shark Week? I might. Why wouldn't you? I love sharks. I find them fascinating creatures. It amazes me because Joe is the photographer. He's the guy that gets, you know, puts on the wetsuit and he gets underwater and he goes right up to the sharks and takes their picture. I was like, isn't that scary as hell? And he goes, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah it's, uh, one time, Catherine and I were down in Grand Cayman. That was God probably... 25, 30 years, probably over 30 years ago, actually. And uh, I, I'm just swimming along. We're kind of snorkeling, but out in about five miles out in the ocean, there's this kind of shelf where you could snorkel, and it was really cool. And I'm going along, ah, oh, look how beautiful this is. And the stingrays would come out from under the sand, and it was a really cool look. And I look, I, I look up to see where everybody else is. There's nobody in the water. Mm-hmm. Like where the hell did everybody go? <laughs> and so I go to the top, and they're all going, shark, shark. I'm like, what? They said there's a shark following you around out there. So I made the decision. Well, I may as well swim back to the boat, and if it gets me, it gets me because I got no shot. I mean, if it wants to get me, I'm done. Mm-hmm. So I swam back to the boat, and it never did attack me. But I, it might have been who knows what kind of shark it was either. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't a great white. It's probably just curious. It's probably like a nurse shark. They don't attack you, do they? Nurse know. sharks. Any shark will attack if they. Oh, they will. Hungry, yeah. Um, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. One of the fascinating things I saw it was a couple of years ago on Shark Week. This new thing. That I'm pretty they, sure it's not called Shark Week. Shark Week. Sorry, my <laughs> mouth is so dry. <laughs> You know um, what a shark is, though. No, never mind. Shark. Wait, shark cop. It's hard to do that when you've been a mouth breather because you're so congested. Well, I suppose, um, yeah. Uh, they do this thing. This one guy started doing, I can't remember the term. It's like tectonic uh, trance, I believe it's called. A tectonic trance? Yeah, I don't know. He does this thing where he um, touches the shark a certain way, like around the nose area, and it puts oh, really? the shark in a trance where he gets can get the shark completely vertical and re- their the tip of their nose is resting on his hand really yeah and his goal was to try and do that the smaller the shark the easier it was to put him in that state well, I suppose, of trance yeah, that's true. um and his goal by the end of the the hour was to ha- do that with a great white oh god and i think he actually did it and but it was only for like 15 seconds mm-hmm. but to, could you imagine trying to get a great white in that state no i cannot and, imagine and trying like, to get a great it's white like it's thing. like the shark goes to sleep 
it's weird and it's neat. How, how does he put him in a trance? Well, you know what? Let's save this for Joe Romero because he might know. Yeah, he might That's know. That's a good question. Yeah, that is a really cool. good question. It's called a what did you say? A tectonic. It's called a it's called tonic immobility. Tonic yeah. immobility. But they had like it's that like, means being drunk, isn't it? <laughs> pretty much. No. No. Yes, no. We'll take a break. Be right back. Nick Stovall in studio with us. We have Joe Romero from Shark Week next. Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. And Priority is also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers, come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call Roger or Eddie right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Let's talk about good things. Does your car work? You got a roof over your head? You got kids, parents, a spouse who loves you, or a mate? These are the good things you have because you live in America, the country that has more immigration than any other nation on Earth. You have these things because the U.S. military stands at a wall and protects you from any person or thing that would take them away from you. The entire volunteer military that stands at the ready just in case. The greatest fighting force ever known on planet Earth. Every person serving in our military is ready to lay down their life for your freedom. And all too often, they do. I'm the executive director of the Gold Star Ride Foundation, an organization set up to do just one thing. Take care of families left behind when one of our brave fighters loses their life for you. We're riding motorcycles throughout the country to achieve this purpose, and you can help. Go to goldstarride.org and make a donation or learn where we are so you can come and ride with us. It's a small thing we do. It was a huge thing that they did. Goldstarride.org. That's goldstarride.org. Make a donation today. Um, what kind of lame song is this, Cassie? There we oh, go. Oh, God, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it she'd be doing It has a very that. slow build. Clearly. But yeah, for good reason. Build. It's the Jaws theme song. I do remember the first time. What was that, 1976? I believe so. Something like that? I, I'll never forget the first time I saw it. It was scary as hell, no doubt about it. Very well acted, though. Is Joe with us? Mm-hmm. Joe Romero, how are you, sir? Hey, how are you? Marvelous. I'm doing marvelously well. But you got you, you got a full load ahead of you because we're going to talk be talking about tonic immobility. We're going to be talking about all this shark stuff. Because the last time I talked to you, because I'm a dope, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to I like you know, watching Shark Week and all the rest of it. But uh, there are a couple of people in the studio that, that know a lot about Shark Week. Like Cassie mm-hmm. is a huge Shark Week fan. <laughs> I am. I nerd out. <laughs> God. Well, I, uh, one thing I can do is I can definitely talk about sharks. So mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I sometimes have to try to calm myself down on how much I do it in a day, really. But, um, yeah, I mean, what do you guys really want to know? I mean, well... Cassie brought up this tonic immobility where, now t- tell them what it is, Cassie, because you know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I can't about. remember the the guy that was doing it, but he was trying to put these sharks in this trance. And he started off with smaller, you know, reef sharks and stuff like that. And he would touch them a certain way. And then, because um, a lot of their uh, sensories are like all in their nose. That's how really? they sense things and vibration through the water. And he would rub it a certain way and it yep. kind of put them in the, like a hypnotic trance. And then they would go vertical and he would hold them up and he would keep them in that state for a while. And he, his goal was to get to a great white, to do that with a great white. Good God. And it was just, I've never seen, that was something completely new. And this was just like maybe, what, well, two or three years ago? I remember this stuff that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think mobility is like something... Then, then it was like starting to be coined in a lot of different phrases, like a lot of different things to just kind of describe a multitude of different shark uh, behaviors. That organ you're talking about, the ampullae of Lorenzini, which is a bunch of fluid-filled, gel-filled sacs, 
all throughout the snout, and that translates into the lateral line system along the body. Um, it's something that picks up those electromagnetics, you know, those small little electrical impulses in the water. Now, you have someone that goes in the water with uh, a metallic suit, like a whole metal suit, chainmail. And that chainmail, when it goes in the water, has a galvanic reaction and actually causes a form of electrolysis. Mm-hmm. And those animals will be attracted to it. And for some reason, be it pleasure, be it whatever, maybe it feels good to them or for something, it sends them into a state. Now, true tonic immobility is actually like fainting in animals. You know, when you mm-hmm. see alligator, like crocodiles and alligators in old movies, they'd be like, flip them over, rub their bellies, you know? That mm-hmm. sends them into a state of tonic immobility. But it's basically almost like an equilibrium shift and to some point, a degree of fainting. Now, saying tonic immobility means the animal is actually immobile. And those levels of fainting are usually done during research, things like that, where they turn the animal over, it stresses out, and all of a sudden it just kind of like goes calm. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's almost to the point where you can you can do anything to the shark, and it's fine. It's just a state that it goes into when it senses sense stress. Now, these other states, like the one that you saw with the, the chainmail suit, that's something of like the animal seems to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Now, there's all kinds of different things they say, like send sharks into tonic mobility. Usually, it's a state of equilibrium loss to the point of almost shifting into fainting. But that's what it really is. It's almost like three different states. Uh, just kind of just put, put into one phrase, where they're like tonic immobility, but there's many degrees to that. And, you know, what you're seeing is something where the animal is making the choice versus the types of immobility that science is talking about, where they don't really have the choice. They're being held to do research and put a tag on or whatever, and they stress out. They go into a state of tonic immobility where their their body just goes, relax, you know, and they... They come through the, their doctor visit, and then when they go in the water, they they seem to just revive back once you flip them over in a certain state, and they, they're back to normal. But it's a fascinating process with the organs and how they all work and, and what these sharks do. But, like, these animals have, like, a sixth sense already. So that's what that organ does is just it gives them the ability to feel electrical signals, much like a bat sends out sonar to hear things around it to kind of sense its area. Sharks have that ability to look around it and understand electrical impulses that we can't see. I have to do that. I do have to ask you a question about doing radio interviews, Joe, because I've been in radio for 48 years, same show for 33 years. How many people, when you talk about that, go, so have you ever been in a gin and tonic trance? (laughs) I guarantee you a radio guy's asked you that. Uh, You're the first one. You're lying to me. They do ask me. A lot of uh, like crazy uh, encounters and things that happen. Yeah, yeah. And in a lot of ways, it just kind of like boils down to a day at work. You know, sometimes when those like traumatic things happen, we just sort of forget about it. And I'll be remembering it like at dinner, like two nights later. I'll be like, "Oh, that's right. You remember this happened?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, that's right. That was pretty, pretty crazy." He's like, "You should have." I don't know. Some of those things you just kind of put out of mind. I think maybe. But, yeah, yeah. You know, that's what a lot of the. That's what I get a lot. Not a lot of. But the gin and tonic, that's, you can just, you know, don't be offended that, you know, no one else asked. You're the, you're the most original to ask that. No, yeah. in other words, I've really done my job as a dope, uh, dopey radio announcer. <laughs> that's good. That's great news. <laughs> um, Joe Romero with us, ladies and gentlemen, talking about Shark Week's Bloodline, the Spawn of Jaws, airing tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central Time on the Discovery Channel. Jaws, was Jaws 1976, Joe, do you remember? 1975. 75, is that long ago? 75, yeah. I, I will never forget yeah, that. It came movie. out in 1975, spawned basically the most iconic animal in the world, and Shark Week kind of was like the growing counterpart to that, where everybody was starting to get really into the shark culture. Shark Week kind of came out and started educating people about sharks, and and basically entertaining them. And I think 30 years of entertaining people about one animal, you know, one species of animal, and tell, like all these different stories throughout 30 years and everything, it just shows it's a big testament to this animal, you know, charisma. You know, this, this shark, these right. animals. There's no panda week, there's no chicken week anywhere in the world. So No, it's not a chicken week, I'm pretty sure of that. I've, I checked. Um, but I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm petitioning for it. You know, chicken, chicken week, week should, 
see around. Yeah, I, like I mean, they should be given a shot, you know? You should, call, you should do Joe Romero Chicken Week inside the wire. What do you think? <laughs> no yolk. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be good. We um, took out all the yolk. You know what amazes me about, the, just a quick re-reference of the movie Jaws, uh, when you look back at that, uh, the cast was fantastic. The story was fascinating. The cinematography, the, the I don't know if it was the, a robot or what it was, the, the, the close-up shots of the shark. But all of the... I thought it was a real shark. It, they did, yeah, right. But think of all the luck they had. I mean, it's an iconic film. It exposed people to something they'd never seen before. But the luck they had from the cinematography and the great acting, the acting in that movie was really good. Um, oh, they suffered through that. If you ever saw the making of Jaws, oh. like, they suffered through everything. And much like what we do in Shark Week, we we relive that all the time. And it's become this like iconic film to us where we always like look back at the struggles and stuff they had. But they mixed it with a robot shark and like real live action stuff that was like shot. But those people that shot that real live action stuff were the first ever. They actually shot Blue Water White Death, which was like the first ever documentary on the Great White Shark. And those were the the forefront, the tip of the spear. So we all look at him with with great reverence in that movie, even though it's a horror movie and an, a movie built on entertainment and a falsehood about these animals and what their behavior is. It's something that sparked such an interest in us and such debate that we've been having this debate and these these talks about the science behavior and mm-hmm. attitudes of sharks towards us for thirty years. You know, since Jaws forty. Yeah, you know, but Shark Week's been here for 30 years going through everything that is sharks. And it's still, it's pro- like, Jaws is probably the most classic American movie ever made. And Shark Week has become like one of those American icons where it's like, you think Fourth of July, you think fireworks, you think, you know, family, summertime, and Shark Week. Do you think that's because there's something for everybody in Shark Week, whether you're fascinated with sharks or cinematography or or diving? There's something for everybody in Shark Week, it seems to me. I think this year there is. Yeah. There's all everything from, like, like comedy moments to, like, celebrities. And, you know, we took away a lot. You know, there's, there's, there are the serious science shows, and there's a lot of that, but there's, there's such a big variety of stuff with 22 specials, 22, like, you know, there was there was quite a few, a lot of content that we put out this year to do with sharks, and it was, you know, it, it goes all over the gamut, but I think that's what really captivates a lot of different people and gives them a lot of different tastes, because some people just don't want to always, you know, take the serious science angle or the serious entertainment angle. Sometimes people just want to laugh and have fun, you know, and yeah. I think a lot of these shows have a lot of that element in it now. Uh, is it around, I think it's around April 1st to 15th or something like that, uh, down in Palm Beach Island, Florida, there's the shark migration where they head back north. That's around the 15th of April, isn't it? I think. Well, you can't date it to a date. Like, it's usually oh, okay. just the temperature. Around oh, okay. April, you know, around that area is when it starts to cool off. But that's the southern. Usually we see the northern migration where a lot of things will come near shore. But Florida's a hub a corner to a huge continent it's like that animal the gulf of mexico is in there they yeah. all animals travel up and down the coast but the sharks that are doing the migration are around you are small species of shark they're not usually dangerous to people or right pose any threat usually the only thing that i mean it's not even usually the only kind of incidents they have with these little sharks and people are are just like bites where they mistake them for fish it's yeah. bull shark tiger sharks that are unfortunately causing much more damage on someone if they did but also, that's super rare, and these animals aren't looking for you, so it's a—it's not something anybody has to worry about. But the migration no. there, yeah, thousands of sharks off the coast, and like I said, they're, they're hunting us. They're doing a horrible job. Yeah, I know. There's no question about that. I, the, the thing about that is so cool. As you said, thousands of sharks, and the local TV stations take a helicopter. And they film the sharks migrating north, and it looks like there are about fifteen, twenty thousand sharks all swimming together right up the coastline. It's like, whoa, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's amazing that it makes that you know, like it's it's striking news, like anything to do with them. And I now you see a lot of news platforms actually celebrating it and going, oh my god, the migration's gone. And it's much looked at, like what 
you know, the Audubon would have looked at as schools of birth. But, you know, at one time, a lot of that media agents would go out and they're like, oh, my God, the water is just like, you know, the shark attack capital and all this other stuff. And it was, yeah. they were really building a lot on that fear. And what it really comes down to is those animals have always been there. We've been going in the water and millions of us go in the water every year. Florida is still an amazing place to see and visit do stuff in the water and the media places are just kind of picking up on those stories. But I really love the the ones that pick up the natural element and celebrate it. Yeah, I think it is terrific. And Joe, I want you to do me a favor now. Just jot down gin and tonic immobility and you're <laughs> you can go ahead and use that all you want. I'm I'm already like I already talked to people, it's already packed. <laughs> this industry moves fast. It does. Gin and tonic immobility is just gonna be like the new hashtag. Joe, I tell you, I love interviewing you. You're a great interview. I appreciate your time today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thanks for having me again. Uh, happy Shark Week. <laughs> <laughs> I just started joking when I laughed there. Sorry. It's become a culture. It really has Shark Week. I tell people don't call me during Shark Week. <laughs> not taking God. calls. Huh? I'm not well, taking, I just inhaled. What, what I love, too, is it's created like they have shark week they always have the greatest memes and like one of my favorite ones. oh yeah they do it yeah they love their memes. yeah it says that this the sea gets its salt from the tears of misunderstood sharks and stuff. <coughs> yeah and like this one it says followed a blood trail to help an injured swimmer gets punched in the nose so it's oh, like those funny yeah they have trying to help out yeah i think if people know how important sharks are to the ocean and if they were gone, the ocean would completely fall apart. Really? Yep. A lot of there's a lot of species in the in the ocean that if they were to go extinct, the ocean would fall apart. And <clears throat> we need that to. I mean, it's part of our ecosystem. I did Huge not part know of that. our ecosystem. Joe Romero, ladies and gentlemen, Bloodline: The Spawn of Jaws, airing Friday tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific Time. Of course, eight o'clock Central Time. It's on the Discovery Channel. I love talking to Joe Romero. He's one of the most laid-back guys you could ever interview. He's like, yeah, okay, well, <laughs> you know, tell your joke, do whatever you want to do. But he's just a great guy. Thank you very much for Nick. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow, Tom Bernard Show.